Hello, you're listening to Perpetual Learning. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Have you ever been in a spot at work where things are humming along and then you look around and think, what am I doing here in this job, uh, in this place? Well, that's our conversation today. Uh, hello, Sudan. Hey, and I'm Sudan Sivan. Yes, you know, we'll be talking about why we end up at default careers and, and see how we can change that. Well, you know, right off the bat, I sense you're going to talk about working where your passions lie. I'm not so, I'm not quite so sure that I agree with that philosophy. So I'm really curious to see where you go with this. Um, and I, and I might be challenging you with some questions on this. So let's kick this off. First of all, let's get a common definition on tape. What does a career, like quote unquote, a career mean? Yeah, I think the Webster definition that I found was it's an occupation undertaken for a significant period of a person's life and with opportunities for progress. Undertaken for a significant period. Okay, and opportunities for Correct. progress. Okay, that, that sounds about right. What's your problem with that definition? It often defines who you are for better and for worse, right? So if you're an accountant, you must be a numbers person. If perhaps you're a journalist, you know, you, you probably don't know as much about math or, or something along those lines. There's a lot of characterizations or mischaracterizations, I would say, about the individual based on the career that they're pursuing. And, you know, it typically has a progression planned and, and usually implies that you need to wait a long time to benefit from your hard work. But again, like, what is the, what is the problem with that? Because I, I think, yes, I do, I, I do sense that when you look at certain careers, you know, you have to follow a path and it may be misrepresented as you're sticking to that path. But, but I feel like it's up to the person to sort of break past those definitions. Do you think that, that following a career path forces people in some way to, to stay in their lanes? Absolutely. Right. I think the nature of opportunities that are given to them, the way people view them. And, and I completely understand your point that it's up to the individual to break from that mold as well. However, the stigma around pursuing specific careers and at the very least, the push to pursue that at an early age can be quite limiting if you make the wrong choice. Right? And, and, you know, that. Therein lies a lot, a lot of, you know, challenging problems for young adults, I think, um, where, you know, they may have made a choice that they didn't fully appreciate. And, you know, it's a lot more difficult to make that change, you know, let's say, you know, five, 10 years down the line. So what happens is people um, get to the end of this path. Like I was speaking to someone who's in financial services, right? Uh, recently, financial services, quite successful, a woman. And, you know, she said something interesting about how this whole concept of year ends and quarterlies and having certain sort of deadlines that are really intense. She said something really interesting to me. She said, you know, if I had known 15 years ago that this is what uh, a CPA did or an accountant did. I don't know if I would have come down this path. And I found that an interesting statement because in a way um, she keeps thinking, well, this is all I have to stick to. Meanwhile, she has 
a lot of skills. Like if you're a CPA or an accountant, you have a lot of skills that you can actually translate into, into other areas. So I, I see a little bit about, I see a little bit about what you're talking about, but you're laying this problem, this idea of following a, a career path at the, at the feet of our education system, how, you know, the education system may push career paths onto, onto young people. What is the system doing wrong? I think it's taking a very short-term approach, right, where each step of the education system is optimized to push students to the next proverbial stage, where whether that's, you know, high school, university, or, you know, high school to university or university to post-grad, or even elementary school to high school to an extent, where, you know, if you think about it as a product or, you know, if you think about students as customers, Products and, you know, the education system is really designed to upsell you on that next level versus taking more of a longer term approach and actually helping the individuals or the students in this case progress and build out their skill sets and ideally build out skill sets that are tailored towards their passion. Now paint a picture of these, these faults for me. As an example, young people attend career fairs, they they visit career centers to get a sense of what's out there. Why are things like that, career fairs or, or even career centers, why could they make for a limiting experience? Well, relative to what exists out there, career fairs, and, and you know, it's impossible for a career fair or a career center to cover, especially in this day and age, all the different possibilities that exist. And so, it tends to prevent or present a very biased view of what's possible. And, you know, it's likely more of a function of the sponsorships available to them versus truly providing a holistic view of all the opportunities out there. And I think, you know, personally, I think, you know, following the right people on Twitter can build a better perspective versus attending some of these career fairs because, you know, these career fairs tend to focus on, you know, the popular choices that are really tied to the sponsors and perhaps, you know, the popular education options that the bulk of, you know, students choose for that particular cohort or at least historical cohorts. And, you know, I think these fairs and career centers also build a false sense of urgency to make that decision right away versus encouraging people to explore options based on what they're good at and what they're interested in. What's what's interesting, too, is as the world of work changes, whatever it's possible that whatever you put up in a career fair or a career center is sort of five years behind the market. There's a complete possibility, right, because totally. the, the the world of work is changing so rapidly and faster than these that such sort of physical arenas can um, can stay stay in pace. Let's get personal for a minute. I mean, I. Yes, you're criticizing the system, but this is a system that pushed you through into business school, which, which I would argue is a great fit for you. And, you know, then you went on to these business roles at Rogers, at Walmart, which also I'm sure helped to pay the bills. What's wrong with what it created for you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on how you look at it. I, you know, I, I will not. You know, I've certainly benefited a lot from these experiences, but I also got pushed into the status game where, 
I was chasing strategy roles because that's what everyone else was going after. And, and you know, essentially looking at job titles without really taking a step back to figure out what I was learning and how that would tie back to, you know, my overall goal of, you know, perhaps becoming an entrepreneur or becoming a really good investor. And, you know, if I had continued to go down that path, I think I would have hit a dead end where I didn't really learn any tangible skills that ties back to a profession in investing or entrepreneurship. And, and, you know, while, you know, it still would have been a great outcome, it's not something that I I was personally passionate about and Mm. who knows how long that would have lasted. Right. Got it. Now, we, we're going to get to this. So let's get into it now. This idea that we need to love our jobs. Uh, it's not something that I've really been to, wet to. And I say this, um, you know, being in a place where I had a job previously in the startup sector that I loved and I have a job now in journalism that I love. I'm not saying that people shouldn't st- should stay at a job that that's terrible for their well-being. But I think that the idea that you need to find work that you love just has always sounded strange to me. Like I felt that work is for sustenance, not fulfillment. Work puts food on the table. Um, going for a hike or, or reading a good book or making a good tiramisu and eating it, that's fulfillment. Why do you think we need to be truly passionate about the work we do? I think it, you know, it ultimately empowers you to take control of your career versus being at the whim of your company or profession to take care of you, right? The future of work only promises constant change. And so I think it's critical to get ahead of this and focus on what you enjoy versus hoping that, you know, the company that you're working at will take care of you as long as you continue to work hard or perhaps being a, being in a specific profession, let's take accounting as an example, being a, being an accountant, will always allow you to have a job, right? And and part of this is a bit of privilege as well, where, you know, you're allowed to make these choices because, you know, you have a base level of obligations that are being met already. You know, the one point of caution I would make for this, um, when I speak to younger people who who have this idea that they, I, I think I'm getting the, I, I think I'm getting the point that you're making, but I just wanted to raise a point of caution, which is that when I speak to young people and they talk about this idea that they need to be passionate about what they do, I like to remind them that yes, you can be passionate about what you do and the larger role that you, that you play, but always know that every job, even the ones that are, that you're perfectly aligned with, come with some level of tedium and some level of stuff that you don't like. And I want to be cautious about that, the difference that, that even if you love what you do, there will be a portion of that job that you don't love. I think you would agree with that. For sure. I mean, I think it's distinguishing, you know, loving what you do and and being able to do what you love a hundred percent of the time, right? The latter probably being a bit less realistic, but as long as, you know, you enjoy you know, 50, 60, 70% of what you do and continue to see a path forward where that continues to be the case, I think you're in a pretty good spot. Talk to me about how you did it, how you moved past that default career path to carving out your own. 
I think it took a lot of searching, uh, personally, like soul searching. And I think it ultimately ended up in a shift from a focus where, you know, I looked beyond titles, recognition, to an extent compensation as well early on, and focused a lot more on the skills that I would be developing, the experience that I would get, and also the people that I would be working with. And I was quite fortunate, I'd say, to do that because I didn't have a ton of obligations to worry about. So I was able to take a pay cut. I was able to kind of take a longer term approach and say, like, if I did X, Y, and Z, I can probably get back to where I was fairly quickly. But, you know, taking that initial jump was painful. And and I I was fortunate in the sense that I didn't have as many obligations to deal with uh, when making that change. And for you, that was moving from these sort of established large companies in Canada to working for startups. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, went from working at the Rogers Walmarts of the world to a couple of startups and learned a ton through there. And, you know, again, went back to the corporate field, but as a very different person where I felt like I had that unique blend of working at a startup, being able to scrap it through understanding, you know, different skills and being able to sell, being able to take care of customers, that kind of stuff, combined with, you know, understanding how corporations work and, and, you know, what you need to do to uh, continue to, you know, manage, you know, people internally as well as manage manage people externally. Do you love your job? Absolutely. I think it, like I said, really combines everything that I've learned to date, both at the startup stage as well as the corporates, which, you know, I, I feel quite fortunate to say and find quite unique. Well, now you have a key tool that you want to to share with others, a, a tool for breaking past that that sort of default box or framework that we that we find ourselves in. And and you've titled it seeking productive discomfort. What do you mean? Yeah, it's essentially embracing moments of change or times where you have a sense of discomfort versus shying away from them. So this could be, let's say at a corporate, more of a restructuring, right? Your boss may change different rules. The broader team may have, you know, shifted you into a new role. And, and, you know, a lot of those times, those moments can be quite uncomfortable. And those are the moments where you either shy away from the opportunity that could exist or perhaps pursue, you know, different opportunities that are more similar to what you've done in the past. Or the alternative, which I would suggest is, to really embrace it and kind of see what are the skills that you can build from this and how do you, you know, build out your own portfolio with, you know, the intent that, you know, that's where you want to grow as well. Um, and if those two marry up, then give it a shot. If not, then perhaps look at different options as well. But really embracing moments of change versus shying away from them is uh, the key message I would take away. Hmm. So seek out areas where you feel scared. Um, is there something to be said for understanding um, uncertainty and risk as you do that? I think it, it really comes down to, you know, being able to talk with people, have a pretty good understanding of what you want out of this, um, and, and then taking more of an optimistic view as well. I think a lot of times these changes, you know, scare people and, and 
you know, people fail to recognize the opportunities that come with these changes. And the reality is that most organizations, big or small, will be changing fairly consistently, right? And so the more you can embrace that change, the more valuable you'll be to the organization, but also the more value you can generate for yourself, right? And that's where you can take on opportunities that you may not be necessarily qualified for on paper and really try it out and, and hopefully succeed at it. Is this thinking you think um, a privilege for the already privileged? I personally don't think so, but I also think I come from a place of privilege, so it's difficult for me to fully understand. However, I think, you know, if you look at each individual situation, I think there's definitely an opportunity to go out of your way to seek that productive discomfort and take on more opportunities. You may not be compensated for it right away. You may not be recognized for it right away either, but the more you do that, I think the more doors you'll be able to open up for yourself, regardless of, you know, relative privilege that you might have. What are some good resources that you would direct people to who who are thinking through this? Yeah, there's no real specific resource that I'd point to. I think it really is specific to the goals of each individual. I think I'd really personally look to experts and people who have already accomplished what you have done and and really try to reach out to them, see if you can emulate that. I'd also say, you know, looking at, you know, just change management in general and applying a lot of those concepts you know, to yourself personally, it's probably a pretty good path to take as well. Oh, yes, that, that, that's a smart idea. Um, you know, I wanted to add a couple of things that I found interesting. Uh, there's a book, a 2021 book by Sarah Jaff. It's called Work Won't Love You Back, How Devotion to Our Jobs Keeps Us Exploited, Exhausted, and Alone. I haven't read it. Um, I've read excerpts and I think, I think, um, they, they certainly deliver and I think it might be an interesting read around this idea. The second resource, um, resource that I have is, is something that I'm, I'm going through some training right now, some, some journalism leadership training. And, um, there was something that we did that I thought would be a fascinating exercise for people to try if you're thinking about risk. Um, you know, maybe changing things in your career is to sit down and figure out your core values. When I, the idea was introduced to me, because sometimes I can be skeptical about, about these things. It sounded fluffy, <laughs> but, but it actually was quite useful. Um, you can find a 10 minute version of that, um, at a site called taproot.com. Just go type in taproot.com, live your core values exercise, and it'll pop up. It'll ask you a bunch of questions and and, and sort of spit out some answers for you. Um, as an example, one of my core values, it came as a bit of a surprise to me, is seek to innovate. So which means that, that I am likely to be, to be unhappy if I do not have um, that value, seek to innovate, in some aspect of my job or its entirety, which explains why I loved working at a, at a startup. And sometimes when, you know, I'm at a, a big corporation right now, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated, except when I'm working at a, at a, at a new project within a large corporation. So, so now I tend to kind of look for that in my work. Um, anyways, it's just a suggestion if someone wants to try it. And if you do, 
So email us back and let you know, let me know how how much you like it or don't like it. I, I'd love to hear back. But uh, but Susan, this is a great topic. Really loved this. Awesome. Yeah, definitely, and, and definitely we'll check out that resource as well. Sounds very interesting. Are we on uh, for next week? Absolutely. Great. Talk then.